great crowds were traveling with Jesus. And he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there is enough for its completion? Otherwise, laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers should laugh at him and say, this one began to build but did not have the resources to finish. Or, what king marching into battle would not first sit down and decide whether with 10,000 troops he can successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops? But if not, while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. What a remarkable and difficult series of statements that we have from Jesus. A gospel reading that, in a sense, punches us in the mouth from its first words and aggressively goes after our hearts to its very end. Note these strong, even harsh terms that Jesus uses here. And let's not sugarcoat them. Let's not pretend he said something different. Unless you hate, he says, your mother and your father and your children and your life. You cannot be my disciple. Note how that flies in the face of what we say to each other every day. Especially that statement we never tire of saying, family comes first. And here we have Jesus saying, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And to our modern world, which says, I come first, Jesus says, no, you don't. Note how the Lord, using this shockingly strong expression, 
And the word hate is not a gentle word. It's not a pretty word, but it is the word Jesus uses. And why does he do that? Because we refuse to get the memo. And what do we say? Yes, Lord, I know you come first. Oh, but I got so much other stuff to do today. Yes, Lord, I know I need to be in church on Sunday, but I got a family event. We do this all the time, don't we? We tell the Lord he's first, and then we put him in second place, in third place. We say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. But, you know, I got to make some compromises because of my job. And so Jesus today is speaking in a way that doesn't give us that wiggle room that we like to take for ourselves. Are you serious about following me or aren't you? Because if you are, then we put first things first. I come before your family. I come before your job. I come before your ambition for yourself. And on the one hand, all Jesus is doing is reminding us what the word follow means. But it really is important to kind of recognize a follower by definition is in second place at best. There's always someone who moves ahead. There's always somebody who chooses the direction where we're going. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, your family can't lead you. Your ambition can't lead you. Your fear, your hang-ups can't lead you. I have to lead you. This is something that the Christian faithful have struggled with from the very beginning because we all like to lead. And it's easy to follow when we like the direction we're moving. But it is amazing how quickly when a leader pulls us or leads us in a direction we don't want to go, we begin resisting. Back in the 1970s and 1980s, there were those, for example, who didn't like the direction John Paul II was taking the church and so decided they didn't want to follow. Today, we see the same thing with Pope Francis from different sides of the aisle, but the same sinful tendency. If I don't like where you're going, I'm not going to follow. But that's not following. If I only go where I want to go in the first place, no one's leading me. The measure of a follower is will I remain in place when the road gets hard, inconvenient, or difficult, or I don't understand why we're walking on it. This is the point Jesus is making here with that unless you hate your own life. He's cutting into our tendency to want to negotiate with him. As long as I like where you're leading me, Jesus, I'm with you. 
As long as I understand where you're taking me, I'm with you. But the Lord is saying, I want to take you someplace you don't understand. And I'm going to have to take you someplace from time to time where you don't want to go. Are you with me then? Because that's when it's real. Anybody can follow. Anybody can be a disciple when it doesn't cost him anything. Oh, but when the cost of discipleship is something we begin to feel, when I have to lay aside my opinion, my desire, my goal, that's a lot harder. But that's when we make the real offering to Jesus. This is something, as I note it, we've struggled with from the beginning. All the way back to the Israelites in the desert, who as soon as everything became difficult, forgot the God who saved them. And so Jesus now is looking at all of those who say, Lord, I want to be with you. Lord, I'm your follower. And he's saying to them, are you really sure? Because it's not enough just to say you walk with me. It's not enough just to say you come out to listen to me. Are you really willing to follow where I take you? And so here it is then that Jesus says, if you are not willing to pick up your own cross, you can't come with me. Again, note the, note the implication here that there is a necessary element of following Jesus which means embracing a cross which is mine and not yours, which is yours and not mine, that each of us will have his or her own set, not just of graces, but of personal difficulties that come into life precisely because I'm following Jesus. For some of us, that cross is going to be the bitter struggle we'll have inside of ourselves to lay aside behaviors that we've gotten far too used to. For others, that cross is going to be the struggle we have with our closest friends and our own family members as we try and live our faith. For others, it will be the difficulty of remaining faithful in a culture that grows more faithless every day. And sooner or later, everybody has the cross of the Lord and his church calling something from us that we just don't want to give. And we have to pay that price. Obedience is not a trivial thing. It's a word we throw around, but are very poor at living. Real obedience, again, isn't doing my will and isn't obeying only when I like it and I get my way. 
That's nothing. Real obedience is the willingness to lay aside my will for the sake of the will of another. That is really challenging. That is exceedingly challenging. And the fountainhead of that kind of obedience, of this kind of following of Jesus that he is insisting on, he is actually demanding it in this gospel reading. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you want to follow me, it'll be a good idea to pick up your cross. Notice that he doesn't say, if you're going to be my disciple, you might want to think about rearranging things. He says, you have to. You have to. You must. Now, obviously, it takes us time to learn how to do those things. But there is no commitment to Jesus that doesn't have a commitment to putting him and keeping him first. There is no being a faithful Catholic that doesn't involve putting the ordinary teaching authority of the church in first place. Whether I like the minister who's in charge or not. Oh, but that's hard. That's really hard. So in human terms, we all play favorites. But note the Lord who is insisting on that importance of laying ourselves aside. And that does mean our preference. That does mean recognizing that I don't automatically know best and allowing the Lord through the channels he's given us to lead us. This is the secret of the greatness of St. Ignatius of Loyola, who we celebrate today. Ignatius, as a young man, served the king of Spain personally. He served at the royal court, and he was a soldier, renowned as well for his bravery on the field of battle. And Ignatius, as a young man and as a soldier, was not a man of particular piety, but he understood obedience or at least he thought he did. He understood the obedience of a soldier and the obedience of a subject to his king. But what he didn't understand was obedience to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until he was seriously wounded on the field of battle and is recovering under the care of a group of clergy who tended to the wounded that on his sick bed, because his wounds required a serious amount of time to heal, to fill the time, Ignatius began reading. And what captivated him were the stories of the lives of the saints. And as he read these accounts 
of the great Christian men who went before him. He was struck by a heroism that didn't require bearing physical arms. He was struck by a faithfulness greater than any he ever saw on the battlefield. He was struck by the willingness and the readiness of so many to submit their will, not to an earthly king, not to a great military commander, but to the gospel. And he was captivated by the greatness that that humble submission produced in the lives of those who did it. So that as his body recovered its strength, Ignatius made his decision. That is the king I will serve. That is the army in which I will enlist. And it is the gospel to which I will pledge my obedience. What a remarkable disposition that is. And recognizing, recognizing that the call of the gospel was a call to embrace the cross and lay oneself aside, Ignatius dedicated himself to developing and practicing a series of exercises by which he could come to surrender himself, not to his own impulses, not to the words of a popular preacher, not to the fashion of the day, but to the movement of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he dedicated his life then after not just to preaching the gospel, not just to proclaiming Jesus, but to teaching his brother priests and those who came to him for direction how to effectively listen to the Spirit of God that one might follow him. Not willy-nilly, not with mere enthusiasm, but by learning to tell the difference between my own impulses, my own preferences, my own insecurities, and the speaking of God, which is something other. The order that he founded, the Society of Jesus, as he founded them, he gave the priests of the Society of Jesus a motto to live by, which was his own motto for the greater glory of God. Why do you do this? And he said the answer is for the greater glory of God. Why do we suffer? And his answer was for the greater glory of God. Why do we sacrifice? And his answer, for the greater glory of God. And when he was imprisoned on suspicion of heresy, rather than shouting from the rooftops that he was really faithful and being unjustly judged, he said, there are not enough chains for me to wear.
that I might honor the cross of my Savior. How different from our modern culture of protest, our modern culture of grievance. What a remarkable witness. Why do I wear these chains, he said? For the greater glory of God. Because that is what I desire. Not the vindication of me. Not the getting what I want. He laid his life aside so completely that his one desire was the greater glory of God. On any given day, we have so many desires in our hearts, don't we? And often, often for the greater glory of God doesn't make the top 10. And here was one who said, no, this is what that teaching of Jesus really means. Unless you hate all these other things, it doesn't mean that you get rid of them, but it means they are all brought under the authority of the greatest for the greater glory of God. Why did Jesus Christ step out of heaven? It wasn't simply to save you. It was for the greater glory of his Father, in obedience to his Father's will. And saving you is the way Jesus glorifies his Father. These are not separable realities. Everything Jesus Christ does is not first directed to us. It is the way he glorifies his Father. And so note the heart of this apostolic man this Christian soldier in the best and fullest sense of the word. What is my mission? The greater glory of God. What is my battle plan? The greater glory of God. What a marvelous call and challenge to each and every one of us to ask ourselves that question. Beginning today, knowing that it won't be perfect, how can I live in a way that just a little bit more is directed to the greater glory of God? Because in a few minutes, this same Jesus who speaks to us in the gospel, this same Jesus who is the one that Ignatius followed and gave his life to, will come here, stepping out of heaven, to come to you. And why? So that you might know, in all truth, the greater glory of God. And that is who you receive in your heart. And that is the reality that will be within you. And opening your life to Christ, you open your life to the greater glory of God. And this is why Jesus says, first things first. Fix your heart and your eye on me. Amen.